Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. It's a podcast where we're digging into the digital revolution and the remarkable changes taking place in our personal lives, our professional lives, and really touching just about every one of the, what is it, three and a half, four billion people on the planet. So it is a, a fascinating time we're in right now. And we're delighted to have one of our monthly digital all-stars, Christian Anschutz, with us today. Uh, Christian is an entrepreneur. He's been a CIO, a CDO. He's an adventurer, and he is also uh, no longer active in the United States Marine Corps, but he is uh, he left there as a captain, left active duty as a captain, served a couple of tours of duty, and uh, really has some great ideas about leadership, inspiration, and so forth. So Christian, uh, it is always a pleasure to see you. It's always a pleasure to be here, Bob. Good to see you. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, good to not see your listeners, but hopefully uh, get some interactions uh, subsequent to uh, this getting published. Absolutely. We'd, we'd love to see that. And Christian, I know one of the things that we wanted to talk about today was uh, you've done this. You have led some of these big changes in your career uh in the private sector, in the military, and so forth. But I wanted to just check in with you now, because over the past two, three months, I've spoken with a couple big businesses, not in the tech industry, where they've got some really good plans, the the ideas to, to move forward, to really transform the company. But there is a, there's a certain cohort within the organization that just feels like Nope, we're going to dig in our heels, you know, sort of over my dead body, that that quiet sense of resistance to change. And I wanted to see if you'd share some ideas about what leaders should do in these times when really it's the right path for the organization. There are some people involved. Though. How do you get those people or can you get some of those people to go from being uh, naysayers and sort of the Eeyores in the group? How do you get them over, if not fully fledged advocates for it, then at least they're not digging their heels in and almost trying to sabotage things. Gosh, that's such a, it's such a big topic. I mean, um, so earlier this year, uh, I don't, maybe it's a, uh, a publication that some people know, it's called Information Age. Uh, they uh, released a, a, a study of a poll where they surveyed 500 C-level executives from 500, uh, from Fortune 500 companies. And uh, in that poll, uh, they uh, uh, heard back that they those C-level executives believe that 40% of the Fortune 500 would either cease to exist or at least they, cert they certainly wouldn't be part of the Fortune 500 in just 10 years with the, the super majority of those even ceasing to exist in any meaningful fashion. So this is kind of important because, I mean, fundamental to this is, I mean, you, you, your question is couched in the like, hey, the world is changing. Organizations have to be agile, have to change too, because if it was the status quo, you wouldn't be asking that question, right? And so I, I give that because the, the powers uh, uh, and the forces of change are so strong that they're going to like, at least according to that poll, wipe the slate clean of 40% of the Fortune 500 off the map, so to speak. Uh, again, according to 500 uh, folks from Fortune 500 companies. Uh, and... Um, Incumbents, you know, while they have so many diff uh, different advantages, uh, uh, established brands, positions in the market, they can be well capitalized, they have capabilities and workforces, they have all sorts of assets. And they also have a real big problem. And that's their legacy. Mm -hmm. And they could look at 
like in this context, a lot of people here, you know, listen to you because it's a technology related. They might think legacy technology systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's some of those. I mean, you know, they're all legacies, you know, at some point, as is true also for, you know, the core capabilities. But the number one legacy that gets in the way actually is the mindset legacy. Yeah, This is what we do. And this is the way we do it. And if you can't demonstrate to me that it's broke, yeah. let's not fix it. Yeah. And for most people on the ground who are doing their job, they don't see that it's any more broke tomorrow yeah. than it is today. And so they really don't have much of an incentive to fix it. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm saying, and it's kind of a long way of getting to the point, the number one thing that's responsible for these companies getting outmaneuvered in the marketplace is their lack of, I'll say it, good leadership. Because yep. these companies have capabilities. These yep. companies have, uh, they're, 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 they have money, they have resources, and they're still going to get outmaneuvered. They're, we're seeing it happen. And it's it's fundamentally because of leadership. They'll say, oh, it's because of the market forces. They'll say because of this, we couldn't get our workforce to make the adjustment. Those are all, someone's responsible for that. It's yep. not, there's no forces out there that, you know, that are wiping these companies out. We're allowing it to happen. And yeah. so I'll pause here yeah. by, yeah. well, let me conclude here and then pause and say, if leaders are serious about this not happening, they start looking at culture and the uh, the sort of the intellectual and emotional agility that their culture needs as not a part of their strategy, but actually the strategy itself. Uh-huh. And most companies are not nearly deliberate about that strategy. Uh, culture is just a thing that happens. It's just a thing we have. We don't really control it. Or if we do anything with it, it's we HR creating some you know nice uh, PowerPoints to stick on a wall. Uh-huh. However, they don't actually do anything with culture. They just believe that maybe they are. And uh, anyway, I'll pause. Uh, you could tell you this topic uh, which you just brought up is uh, near and dear to my heart. And I find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah, Christian, I think that's a, a great, you know, summary. You immediately sort of jumped right into the whole point, not about things like change management and blah, 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 but it was one of culture. And, you know, I've always thought uh, sort of in line with what you were saying toward the end there about you either understand the significance of culture, or you don't, but I think decline is a choice. Uh, right? It's not like, oh, man, hey, that company was just unfortunately in a bad spot at a bad time, right? It's like, no, the, you choose to stay in a uh, an industry or a sector that is declining. You choose to uh, ignore these issues that are bubbling up around the company. You, you know, you choose to accept the fact that some percentage of people, and I don't know, Christian, how many, what percentage of a of a team does it take, you know, 5%, 10%, fifth to, to hold something back? Or you choose to believe that because you were successful in the past, you're somehow uh, entitled to be successful in the future. So um, I think, you know, what you're saying there, and I hope you'll dig into that a little bit more about sort of how you move through that, how you get that culture going in the right direction, because it isn't just the magnitude of the change that companies are going through right now, as, as you described it, the changes in the outside world, and then correspondingly what businesses have to do to adapt to that. So it isn't just the magnitude, which is quite extreme, but it's also the intensity of it and the time scale. They don't have 18, 24 months, you know, put together a panel and do some focus group, blah, 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 all that stuff. They got to fix this right now because their customers certainly have other choices. And just as important today, the great people on your team have lots of different places where they could go and do stuff. So 
Um, I, 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 I am puzzled sometimes at the lack of either awareness or urgency about this. And Chris, maybe it's both. It might be both. I, let me let me take a step back, and, and you know, I'm not. I, I, I have a tendency to sound like I kind of come off as uh, very critical of the executive ranks, particularly CEOs, and I am actually. I, I'm usually very critical of them, uh, and and there's a number of different reasons. But that we have to look at what's facing these folks, right, and facing these companies. It's not just technological changes. It's not just you know Bitcoin and you know uh, metaverse, etc. It's not just geopolitical changes. I mean, we have uh, wars, shifting power dynamics, supply chains. I mean, it's it, it's it's not just that. It's not just social changes, uh, attention spans, various movements, etc. It's all of those things. Yeah. And when you combine the number of changes and the speed of these changes. It's a just a huge, huge task. That's why we have to be very, very thoughtful, very circumspect on how we create organizations that are very adaptable. Because there's one other thing that's changing that's affecting companies probably more than anything that I didn't even just list, mm -hmm. not directly at least. And that's their markets are changing. Yeah. And so they've these companies and these leaders are just overwhelmed with all this complexity and the the complexities of these various forces creating these uh, various change or need for change across the entire spectrum of their operations in many cases. And it's hard, but when you just keep swatting the, the mole, you know, it's a, you know, a game of whack-a-mole versus yeah. taking a step back and going, okay, how do I really future-proof my organization? And you don't realize the, the best way to future-proof your organization is to invest in the people that are a part of it in the first place and build the culture that allow you to navigate these increasingly uh, gale-like forces of winds of change, then you're going to be one of those 40% that we were referring to earlier. Yeah. It's it's hard, but uh, I'll, I'll say this. Right now, more than ever, more than ever, the most strategic thing that most firms can do is invest in their people. Now, this is not something that companies want to do. I mean, a lot of companies training and development budgets aren't zero, but they round to zero, right? <laughs> and let's be honest about it. why do you think people are so disenfranchised, disengaged, right, at their workplace? I mean, they don't see career ops and they're not being developed towards the, the next opportunity either. Every single organization should follow that old adage. I don't know where it came from exactly. Make their people ready to go, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. anxious to stay. Mm -hmm. And if you're deliberate about it, you're investing in your people and you're investing in a future that they can see themselves a part of in terms of what they're delivering to the market and the value that they're creating for the market and the and the, and the communities and the societies they serve, then you have a better chance. Maybe you're more in the 60% than in that 40%. Okay. And by the way, if I may add, in that poll, they just said 40% wouldn't exist of the 60% a lot of them would probably almost certainly degrade it. I mean, that you know, there's only I, today, I think only 10% of the companies that were originally part of the Fortune 500 are even still part of it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think the, the, the point is it's not like 60% win and 40% lose. They're all deeply challenged. Just 40% just completely lose and are wiped off the map, so to speak. Well, Christian, you know, that the, again, I think that would be uh, a, a very specific lesson that a lot of people could say like, well, 
what is my training and development budget? What are we doing? How are we investing in skills? And, you know, maybe very clear headedly, objectively, you know, grade yourself on that. And if the best you can say is, well, it hasn't gone down from last year, that's, that's not enough. If it was, uh, you know, it was pitiful last year and it's pitiful this year. Well, I think inflation has torn that down some, but I think, you know, to go back to what you were saying about CEOs, I think if you are hard on the CEOs from time to time, it's because, uh, there are some who aren't adapting to the change, right? You choose to be a CEO or you uh, you accept that responsibility, then you got to take that responsibility. And one of the things that's happening now versus 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, your job was so different, right? It was sort of preserve what we have incrementally, you know, build it up a little bit. Today, it is wildly different. It's all those changes that you enumerated there. And then you got the external changes that are crazy that you have to deal with. So if you're not ready as a CEO to handle that, uh, that don't take the job. And if you do change it, then I think it is incumbent on them to recognize that technology might be part of the solution to get out of it. But the technology is the, uh, you know, what comes after the plans put together. And I think, as you said, it's, it's comes around to the people. So, if some CEO moves in, an organization's faltering, it sort of started this slow decline, they bring in a new CEO, what advice would you give her or him about how to start that investment in the people? Well, you never ask the easy questions. Let me- uh, let you, me, you don't get easy questions, heck no. Yeah, well, they, they, I mean, these are big questions. And of course, you know, that the answer to that very much is sort of situationally dependent, you know, like it might be very different for Ernst & Young uh, versus, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a manufacturer that has a lot of hourly labor in, in, in plants and factories. So I think it's largely situationally dependent, but I think there's some good rules of, of, of thumb that we consider. Um, you know, first and foremost, I, I, I do believe that... Um, I'll just say it, okay? I, I You hear almost every company say, oh, you know, our greatest asset is our people. <laughs> our great, we would be nowhere without you folks. You know, it's, it's, um, it's the right thing to say because it's, it's actually true. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference. It's that why we have that saying, by the way, there's, there's talking the talk and walking the walk. And uh, mostly they pay lip service to it. Yeah, we've talked about this on a previous uh, uh, podcast, and and I got I feel like I'm on the verge of like insulting everybody in the corporate structures today. It's not my intent. I get so many great companies and so many great leaders out there, but there's a reason why. Like I don't call HR human resources anymore. No, it not it, it stopped being human resources a long time ago. It's now human resistance. Okay. Mm -hmm. Human resources in most organizations is about hiring and firing. It's not a friend to the, the people that work there and the people know it. And that's the foul. That's the thing that cracks me up the most is that they, they think that by saying these things and having that human resources uh, uh, group that, you know, does all these things for the, uh, the employees, which is almost nothing. Like for example, Hey, you know what? Create this uh, business resource group around, I don't know, veterans or a certain minority group or whatever. Oh, by the way, you get no money. You get no time. You get nothing. Go ahead. Do it on your own. Oh, that's like saying, hey, I'm going to help you by just saying, go do whatever you want. I'm not going to pay attention to it. But that's human resources. And I'll give you an example of this in a very simple uh, 
uh, almost like a diagram. I wish I could sketch this. The typical corporation is kind of like a, look at it as a pyramid. And at the top of the pyramid, invariably, especially for for-profit uh, public companies, um, at the top of that functional pyramid that I'm about to describe is finance. You know, it's it's the finance, right? And in the center is the core capabilities. It's what it takes to deliver. It's like your technology, et cetera. And at the bottom of the pyramid is the is the people, like the HR. That's how companies think about their how they structure and how they operate. Finance is preeminent, then the capabilities, and then you get to the people. Now, if you were a company that was really kind of thinking about what your question was, how to revert, uh, you know, do something different, you would reverse that. You would put people at the top of your organization, then the capabilities that those people lead. And then the thing that is actually most regulated, that's why they have a gap, at least in the United States, right? That is, there shouldn't be a lot of creativity in your finance department. (laughs) One would hope, although we know that in case, uh, many cases there is, that would be at the bottom. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the most regulated, controlled, and otherwise overseen activity with the least amount of creativity. And so they would be at the bottom. But the companies have it backwards. And so to to make a point, though, then to land this thing, I would, if I was uh, uh, going to help uh, some companies uh, think about this thing differently, I would do a number of different things. First of all, I already said one thing. You actually make culture a fundamental part of your strategy. It is your people and culture and everything it takes to create culture, by the way, which is not slides and parties and golf outings and BS like that, but behaviors, right, that drive uh, 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 culture. I would spend a lot of time and energy on that. But then something very simple. Why not? I mean, why is it so hard to imagine a company spending industry dependent, of course, you know, 4% of their revenue on their people? Yeah. Why can't you do that? They're the most important asset after all, right? That's that's the slogan. Well, that's what they say, but yeah. then they don't back it up. I mean, so if you're going to tell me that my people are the most important, this is the most important asset we have is our people. Everybody that hears that, if you're listening to this and you've, you've got a boss or a CEO that said that, you go and you go to the bottom of the pyramid, hopefully the bottom of the pyramid, and you look at the financial statements and find out exactly how much uh, percentage of revenue is being spent on training and development. And when that number isn't zero, but it rounds to zero, you know it's a lie. And then, by the way, go find your next job. Because yeah. the last thing we need is, well, a terrible thing is to work for an organization that doesn't want to invest in you at all. Okay. Worse than that is to work for an organization that doesn't want to invest in you at all but then lies about it by saying you're the most important thing there is out there. Quit, go find another job. Don't quiet quit, really quit, quit and go find a place where you can believe in it, you know, want to work. And even if you don't want to make it to your life passion, you want to work from nine to five to get a fair paycheck for a fair amount of work for a good light work-life balance, good on you, but you should still be invested in because there's always an opportunity for you to learn more, do more and be better even in a nine to five scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, Christian, you know, I'm thinking about that point you made there. Uh, you know, the the best sort of companies will, what, how did you exactly put that? You know, make your people ready to go, but anxious them or persuade them to stay. Yeah. Get, get them up to, up to that level uh, where, you know, that where the, the problem you have is, gosh, we got so many great candidates for every position. We've got so many high potential people. We've got so many overperformers. 
do we have opportunities for them? That's a real good problem to have instead of that other one of like uh, when people talk about attrition, how do we how do we manage attrition, right? Just accepting that, hey, this is not a real good place to work and we're going to bleed people all the time. And uh, oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll try to be, uh, we'll, we'll try not to die from the bleeding there instead of fixing uh what what's causing the bleeding yeah it, it it's it's almost comical sometimes thinking about this it, it's comical if it wasn't so painful and yes. i'll just say it because maybe i'm edgy today it's stupid uh, every one of these organizations that's sitting there and 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 i've had an opportunity to work with a number of them okay and they go oh you know what you know we got this attrition problem i mean in the last number of months and quarters and years our attrition rate is gone it's it's doubled one company you know this company everybody knows this company is in the 20 something percent of attrition and they're sitting down and they're like this is why they're leaving i mean this is what they're going to they're they're going to more money they're they're going to where a friend works they're going to this and they enumerate all the stuff that they get on their exit interviews and of course with their keen insight uh you know being part of the human resistance movement within the for the firm and then they go this is what they're going to and they don't stop and flat out be honest with themselves and say actually it's not what they're going to it's what they're going away from yeah and what they're going away from in many mm -hmm. cases is organizations that have terrible leadership, terrible management, right? That don't invest in the people and they just see their lives as a day-to-day -day, uh, drudgery from one thing to the next. So when you feel that way, and then someone offers you even just a measly 10%, uh, you know, uh, increase in your salary, you can bet your ass that grass looks greener. It looks a hell of a lot greener because I might be going from, uh, my current situation to another poor leader and another poor manager where I have limited decision rights, but I don't really know that for sure. And at least the chance is better than what I have. And no matter what, even if it's the same, at least I get 10% more salary for having to endure these chuckleheads. So yeah, yeah of course they'll, they'll do it every time, but the companies aren't honest with themselves. It's not where they're going to as much as what are they moving away from? Yeah. Have these honest conversations with yourself. This is when I get really critical in case you haven't noticed, of corporations and their executive leaders, because they don't, they're not introspective enough. They don't ask those questions. And, you know, you're never, ever, ever going to build a high performance team, ever build a high performance team by having anything other than a radical candor and an ability to understand and accept criticisms, especially when they're well-deserved. And Christian, you've talked at, at other times uh, about this in terms of like an after action report. Okay, the action was a lot of people left. Our attrition continues to go up and up and up. We have no clue what to do about it. So if you, as I think in those terms, if if your analysis of what's happening is, as you said, where are they going to? You never get to the point about where are they going? What are they running from? Because that could hurt you. That could hurt your feelings. It could make you look bad. It could be risky for you. So you just ignore it. And those attrition numbers keep going up and uh, you can just see it happening. And that's one of those places where I think declines a choice. So um, your your point about the candor, the honesty, the courage, the confidence in each other, that if we can have these hard conversations to get at the truth, not to make anybody look bad, but to find out, are we going to fix this problem? We have to understand what the problem is instead of shying away from it and, you know, trying to slam the door shut and hope that nobody looks in the corners. It's um, anyway, I, I think there's going to be a lot of companies that have a hard reckoning over the next year or so 
uh, in this because industries are changing so fast and disruptive companies are coming up who do have the or big companies are changing and they're embracing this new sort of culture about where that goes forward. I think it was IBM that recently said three quarters, 80 percent of the jobs we're going to have created in the next five years. You won't need a college degree. Um, it, it just you know, it's it's a real thing instead of no, no, no. The form is you must have a four-year degree. Plus, what do they say? Like 15 years of this, five years of this. It's it's nuts. So it's it's uh it's driven by some uh inertia from the past with very, very little or no tangible connection to where things are going in the future. So uh Kristen, you, do you have a final thought on this or something you wanna sort of yeah, you wanna know what's really nuts. I mean, I can't make this stuff up. I could list seven companies that I'm talking to at the highest ranks of the companies. I wish I, I you know, if, if it wasn't for non-disclosures, I would love to get this out there for a lot of people to take this into consideration. This is what's nuts. And I bet you this is a lot of companies. It's a lot of companies. They're looking at the economic headwinds as an opportunity to get those pesky employees back in line. <laughs> Think about this, that the, the job market's going to constrict in, in the forecast of many. I, I, I'm not pulling out a crystal ball here. I'm not saying it is. In the forecast of many, they're saying there's gonna be a lot of economic turmoil. And we're already seeing a number of companies already going through their first and even like Lyft just announced another round of layoffs. I mean, this is going on and on and on. And so what these executives are going, oh, you know what? We're just not going to have to worry about the pay thing because, you know, they won't be able to get jobs otherwhere. And then, and you know, the other thing, and they're almost giddy about it, this whole work from home thing, you know, we're going to find the ones that don't want to come in. They're the first ones that we're probably going to have to let go because, you know, they don't want to comply. It, it's kind of like you're, you're like the, this, I know I got an idea. Let's let no chaos, no uh, crisis can go to waste. We got an economic downturn. Let's really put the screws to the people now that are our greatest asset and that we don't invest in. Uh -huh. And by the way, with the economic downturn, all the more reason for us to say, well, we got to pause on the training and development now, Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, because we can't really afford it. And, you know, anybody that works for a company that you think has that mentality that is taking some of these steps, some of them are being fairly transparent. I won't even name them here, even though they've made some public statements along the lines of what we're discussing. My suggestion for you is to quit that company right away. Because what they are doing is it's it's almost like they're looking at these uh, these these headwinds as a just an opportunity to put people back in their rightful place, mm -hmm. and that's in a little cube, in a little box, pushing this button every five seconds and pulling that lever every three. Don't speak up, don't stand out, and for God's sakes, don't make a decision that would make you seem different in any way. You work for one of those companies that's uh, signaling this stuff to the market. Quit now. Yeah. Quit now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's what I would add to this uh, rather fiery conversation. Chris, <laughs> no, it, it, it's been wonderful. And I think uh, just the, the final point I'd like to ask you to talk about, too, is um, leadership today. Uh, you know, you've talked about if if you're somebody stuck in one in one of these uh companies right it's like a woolly mammoth and it has two or three legs in the tar pit and doesn't even know it uh, or maybe some people do know it and they don't care but the leadership 
So you you sort of adjust for those people, bail out, get out of those companies, go somewhere where you know people love what you're doing and love that energy and passion and difference that you bring. And then what about uh, on the executive side? What would you uh, what would you just tell them about uh, you know a, a final thought to get moving on this? You know the the first thing I think every executive actually needs to be really focused in on is on the market. And, and we've said this before in so many conversations, but companies tend to focus more on what they do than the people they do it for. Mm-hmm. That's probably the number one reason that 40% are going to drop off the map. Okay. Because it's, it's not about what they do or what they need or their problems they have. It's about what we do. And that's completely backwards. But once you establish that, then develop the workforce that has a distinct interest, a passion, and otherwise at the very, very minimum, a, a, a real capability to deliver against those market needs. And as you're doing that, invest mightily in both your leadership development and your leadership capacity. You do those three things and you got kind of a, at a high, high level of abstraction. You got a winning a recipe because embedded in that is you understand the market and you understand explicitly at detail what the need is. You are uh, getting the people that are going to be able to and have an interest in addressing the needs, right? And you're uh, developing uh, the, the the leadership capability that's going to keep you following the need, developing those people, and otherwise bringing the full force of everything that that brand and those capabilities that that brand has, et cetera, et cetera, to the forefront for a winning combination. Do those three things. Just that, Chris, and it sounds good. I don't know what you had uh, on your Wheaties this morning, but uh, do it again next time. This is great because I think you've got, you've always bring, you know, such compelling uh, ideas to it. But I, I think it's important, Kristen, that people sense that passion and fire you have in you about these subjects, because, you know, again, otherwise, there's so many things that can distract us. So many other things we can say, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that tomorrow, next week, next month. I'll pass it down the line to somebody else. That That's, that is, uh, that's signing a death sentence for a company today. Uh, maybe not to be carried out later this year, next year, but not so long after that. They cannot ignore this. It's deadly. It's 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 deadly, and and uh, maybe they just have to do what I did. I, I didn't have Wheaties, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> so maybe that's the answer. That's all we have to do. <laughs> well, Christian, my friend, thanks a lot. Sounds good. Sounds good. Always a pleasure to chat with you. And uh, thank you. thanks for thanks for bringing it uh, bringing it hard today. It, it's a great subject, and it deserved your your full fire. Uh, yes. Well, thank you very much. And uh, thank you all for your patience and listening to me uh, from atop a, a soapbox. Thank yeah. you. All right, folks. Thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Hope things are going great for you. We'll see you next time.